Okay, that'll do. Let's get into um, the message this morning, which is from Acts chapter 4. And if you've got Bibles or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, it'd be good to have it out, be good to have it in front of you. And it's part two, really, in a series that, or well, part three in the whole series. So we're doing, a, we're doing a, as a church, the people of the resurrection. So we're just after Easter. What does it mean? What difference does it make that we're people of the resurrection? And the first week we looked at how the believers will have one heart and mind and shared their possessions with one another. Last week, in Acts chapter 3, we were looking at that miracle of Peter and John, when the lame man, lame from birth, is restored, leaps up, walks into the temple with them, praising God, and they've seen and they experienced something of God's inbreaking power, and we talked about that in last week's message, but it costs them something. And where, we, where we're getting to in the story is Peter and John have been put in jail for what they've done and what they've said, and it now requires astonishing courage. The title of this message is Astonishing Courage for what happens next. So let's read, let's read the, the story from Acts chapter 4 and from verse 1. So here's, here's what it says. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. That was the crowds they were addressing. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, Annas, the high priest, was there, so it was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, 
we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, it is chilly in here, isn't it? (laughs) I'm sorry. We've got a boiler and it's being fixed right now with some new parts. So um, has anyone brought a hot water bottle? That was a good option today. An extra layer. I hope you've got the email to warn you of the uh, slightly chillier building today. But um, the Holy Spirit of God will keep us warm today. Praise the Lord. Come on. Right, we need courage because for two reasons. I'm just giving you a bit of structure now. Two things in this passage that require, require courage of the Christian. It required courage then, it requires courage now. And two ways to get it, or two ways it is supplied for us. So we're walking out of church after the end of this sermon, and at the end of this service, I want us to know, we need courage in two particular ways, and I know how to get it. I know how to get it. That's what I'm hoping we'll we'll get to at the end of this message. Okay, we need courage because it is difficult to proclaim that there is no other name by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Let's see how Peter says it. He says, salvation is found in no one else. In fact, let's just cycle back a little bit. He says, know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected that's become the the head of the corner, the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now just listen to that. No other name given to people by which we must be saved. No other name under heaven, he says, given to people by which we must be saved. Now, this is so offensive. It's so offensive to everyone. I mean, it really is. To say that, and do you notice how he actually says it? He actually says, he uses, he could have used any title of Jesus. He went, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Nazarene. The man who was brought up in Nazareth. Him. That that place from that that guy from that town has become he takes something so local i mean it's so particular a place in the middle of galilee and he says that one 
He has become the cornerstone, God's choice, and the name by which we must all be saved. It is extraordinarily difficult to say that. I mean, even the Jewish people of the day must have thought to themselves, oh, I don't, I, I don't particularly like Nazareth. I don't particularly, you know, I'm not particularly into that place. It's a bit of a dive. And yet, they would have to submit and yield to this one. Let alone people from other parts of the world. I mean, this is the message that went from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they were saying in the Greek cities of wherever it was, Ephesus, Athens, there is a man from Nazareth in Galilee for whom God has said there is no other name by which you must be saved. It's, it's just hugely jarring. But it comes with so much more um, in this particular passage because Peter adds indictments. He adds strong criticisms to the Jewish ruling leaders who he was speaking to. So he he not only says that this is Jesus of Nazareth, who's the saviour of the whole world, he says, "Um, this is the one you crucified and rejected. You rejected. And he uses Psalm 118, that stone idea. So he says, this is what you guys did. You're like the builders... You picked up a stone and you looked at it and you went, this is rubbish. This is no good. And so you chucked it on the killing hill of Golgotha because you, you reckoned that it was no good. You got rid. But that stone that you had got rid of that one whom you had crucified, God raised from the dead. And he has become the saviour of the world. Now, can you see how that just adds so much insult? So they're saying, Peter's kind of saying to this, these ruling elites, you guys are 180 degrees in the wrong direction. You thought this guy was a blaspheming, a blaspheming false messiah who you dealt with by chucking out. That's, that's what you made of him. And God has pointed out that you are 180 degrees in the wrong direction. So not only, it's, it's kind of, in some senses, it's worse than if they were just going to a foreign part of the world and saying, hey, despite your customs and your culture and whatever you do, we have this Jesus of Nazareth to proclaim to you and to tell you that he is the saviour of the world. That is one thing, right, to go into another place in the world and to say, despite everything that you guys believe and despite everything that you do in your cultures and your customs, Jesus is the saviour of the world and there's no other name by which we must be saved. That's one thing. But to actually point out to people that what you have done in rejecting Jesus, calling out 
the sin and evil of their rejection and crucifying him. That's another level of offensiveness. But this is what they're doing in real life. Right? They didn't have Twitter back then, because I know everyone just calls everyone out on Twitter and says all kinds of horrible things online. But this is what they were doing in real life in front of these ruling elders. Now, this is hard. It is hard to do this. I don't know if you know, even if you, if you love someone and you care about someone and you want to point out something, you know, even if it's the smallest little thing, like they've got some of their lunch hanging off their face, it's not easy <laughs> to say to them, can I just point out it is very difficult, which is why it requires of us real courage. But the second thing, the second reason this requires courage is because, I don't know if you noticed, but Peter and John here are on the wrong end of a power dynamic. Now this is important. Can I stress this? They are on the wrong end of the power structure here. These were unschooled ordinary guys up in front of the ruling council. So who's vulnerable here? It's Peter and John. And uh, did you notice there's a whole bunch of them there? So it's Annas, the high priest was there, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest family. The previous day they were up in front of the temple guard, the Sadducees and the priests. These guys are on the wrong end. They're on the vulnerable side of things. They're in the low position, and they stand to lose everything for speaking up. Now, this is important. They stand to lose out here, the disciples, the apostles. They face the threat of torture and jail. Later on in chapter 5, they're all flogged. Didn't happen here, but that must have been the threat. More jail time, more flogging potentially. Their uh, rejection perhaps in front of their peers, their livelihood on the line, they are vulnerable here. Peter and John are. They're on the weak side of the power dynamic, and yet they speak. Now this is different, right? This is different from what's going on right here as I speak to you. I am not on the weak side of any power dynamic when I stand up at the front of the church here and tell you there's no other name by which we must be saved. Because you guys are sympathetic to this message. You guys know that this is coming out of the Bible, and you're probably, I'm guessing, most people in here would affirm this and say, I agree with you. I don't stand to lose anything at all. Stood at the front of church here and say that Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. I am, this, I am not exercising courage here this morning to speak up and say these things. Neither is it courageous to get up in a conference of 5,000 people, as we do, not denigrating conferences, but doing it there with 5,000 worshippers who agree with you. And to say, Jesus is the only way to God. It's a good thing to say, it's the right thing to say, but it doesn't take much courage to do that, it really doesn't. The whole crowd of 5,000 people would probably go, Amen, hallelujah, we agree with you and say, it's great, you're a great preacher. It's not courageous. We've got to be careful because 
2,021 years later or something, we're now in quite an established position in Christian in the Christian world. We are the, in the Anglican Church, we're the established church. And so we have position and we have, um, we don't, we're not threatened. I'm not going to lose my livelihood by standing up in church and saying these things. It doesn't take the same kind of courage in the positions that we are. But I tell you, a couple examples. If you're a teenager trying to find your way in secondary school, that's not easy. And, um, you know, socially you're trying to get on with your friendship groups and the hormones are kicking in and everything else. And there, in that situation, you speak up for the, for the name of Jesus. It's genuinely difficult. That is genuinely hard. You are on the wrong end of a power dynamic there. You, are, you stand to lose there. Lose friendship, lose social capital with your peers. You stand to lose. And therefore, that takes incredible courage to speak up and say that Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. Or, those of us who are adults might be part of... Um, I don't know, a group like a club, maybe a group of employees, a sports club, walking club, book club, whatever, for whom the name of Jesus is so cheap and it comes out in swear words all the time and there you are in the midst of it. Now that is genuinely difficult there, isn't it? To be a person of integrity who's going to say somehow, that Jesus is the only name by which we must be saved. In that situation, it genuinely takes real courage. And, what, you know, I'm putting this all this morning. This is not, when we stand up in front of the church and we do these things, we do it in our Bible studies, it doesn't take courage to do it there. It does take courage when you stand to lose, when you stand to uh, be ostracized or put on the outside or lose friendships or lose popularity if you stand to lose like peter and john stood to lose they were they stood to lose a lot then it really does take courage to speak up and say these things so if we're going to have that courage how do we get it we need it right because we're all going to go out of this church in half an hour or whatever, and then we're going to go into these situations, whether at work, at school, in the clubs, or the various different things we're a part of, and we'll feel like we don't have, we stand to lose, potentially, with friendship groups, and then we might want to speak up for Christ. Okay, just the two places I think that this courage comes from is... Um, well, let me give you the first one. What I want to call an apostolic certainty. And let me just explain that a little bit. An apostolic certainty. So let me just point you out verses 16 to 20, okay? Which is where they say, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. 
Um, everyone in living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name, they say. Right? And then Peter replies in verse 19. He says, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges, right? Then verse 20 is the key one. Listen to this. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now, let me just make a bit of a contrast for you here between Peter at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Do you just remember this? Do you remember this? So Peter, when Jesus was on his way to the cross and being tried, he could not speak up even to a servant girl of the high priest. Right? It was so shameful that this Messiah that he followed and proclaimed was on his way to a, sh a very shameful death by the Romans on a cross where criminals go. And so when the servant girl, we're not talking about the ruling elite now, the powers, we're talking about a servant girl comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus. I saw you with Jesus. He can't, he can't accept it. He can't own it. He says, no, not me. Not me. I wasn't with him. That's Peter. That's Peter, that side of the crucifixion and resurrection. He couldn't own it to a servant girl. And yet here, now he's speaking to the high priest and all of his entourage and everyone else in that council. And he's saying, that one, the Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, is the only name by which we must be saved. Now, that, can you just see that transformation in this man's life? You see that? What turns you from someone who is so upset and ashamed of Jesus that you would reject him to a servant girl of the high priest, to someone who would speak so boldly and say, he is the only name. There really is only one, there's only one way that really happens. And I, I, this is what I mean when I think we come to the apostles and we say, look, how do I, because how do I know, think about it like this, how do I know, personally, if you ask me, how do I know that Jesus came back from the dead? Right? How do I know that he rose? If you ask me that question, how do I know? I can't, I can't go back into a time machine and go and see it with my own eyes. I can't do some sort of scientific experiment where, you know, somehow I can figure out whether he rose from the dead. But what I can do is I can go back to the apostles and I can see in someone like Peter's life, here was a man who, had, who could not name Christ before a servant girl and then something happened such that he could say, I have seen the risen Christ. He actually says that in 1 Peter. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty and we're telling you these things we're not making up fables we're not making up stories we were eyewitnesses we saw him risen and so i look at that and i go 
Here is, I'm going on their testimony. They were certain. They were so sure that Jesus rose from the dead. And I can hang my hat there on their testimony. And by the way, it wasn't only one. A lot of people have religious experiences and they come back and they write a holy book. That happens a lot. It wasn't just Peter. It wasn't just John. But it was all of them. All of these apostles writing down their eyewitness testimonies saying we've seen the risen Christ. And so that's why I'm calling it like an apostolic certainty. They were convinced, utterly convinced, prepared to lose their lives, prepared to stand up in front of these ruling elites and say what they had to say. They were so convinced because they'd seen the risen Christ. And I can hang my hat there and say that is good enough for me. So our, our courage and conviction can come from there. But the other place it comes from, verse 8, is what it says there. Can you see that? Chapter 4, verse 8. They bring them before the high priest and the council. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks up. So you've got an example here. Here we have the first miracle, right? The first persecution. They're up in front of the council. They're being asked these questions. And you have this filling after Pentecost, this filling of the Holy Spirit, equipping them for this particular circumstance when they want to, number one, name the name of Jesus. Number two, do it against the odds. They're doing it against the odds. They're on the back foot. They stand to lose everything. And they want to name the name of Jesus. And in those instances, in those conditions, here we have an occasion of the Spirit's infilling and anointing and power for them to speak. You see that? So you might ask yourself, if I'm in a situation where I want to name Christ, but I stand to lose I stand to be rejected or marginalized or ignored or not get promoted or whatever. You have a biblical precedent here to expect the Spirit's help on those instances. When you need the help, you want to name Christ, but you feel weak, you're on the weekend, you're vulnerable. Here's a promise. The Spirit came upon Peter then, enabled him to speak, despite the odds. So we can look at that now and say, when we find ourselves in that situation, we want to name Christ, but we're up against it. We're promised God's Spirit. And so, can I just kind of say we've got two things here then last week we had a miracle of a lame man who was restored that is a mighty wonderful work of the living god this week we have peter who went from being timid shy christ denier 
before a servant girl of the high priest to being a spirit-filled proclaimer the resurrected Lord Jesus to the whole council and I wonder you know when you look at those two things which is the better miracle which is the greater miracle which is more impressive because they seem don't they they seem to be they seem to be taken in by both right the council look at the miracle and they say wow we can't deny that something amazing happened to that man who was over 40 years old but they also look at these guys these unschooled ordinary men who have so much to lose you guys have so much to lose in front of us here and yet you're speaking up and they're astonished is the word astonishing courage and i want to put it to you church that both the restoration of a lame man his body being completely restored is very much on a par with or well let's put it the other way that the miracle of someone's life being transformed such that they were ashamed they couldn't speak up against the odds for the name of christ and then they could i want to put that on a par with a lame man healed after 40 years how is it that these guys i'm finishing how is it that these guys knew that they could lose everything last little section of this they'd been with jesus did you notice that these guys the, the council were astonished that these unschooled men were speaking up like this and they noted you see that in verse i think it's verse 10 and they noted they had been with jesus they'd been with jesus who'd spent three years with them homeless poor rejected flogged killed resurrected and they look at that they spent time with jesus and then they knew it's all right it's okay we too can follow in his footsteps we can face the prospect of all of those things losing our livelihood losing our reputation losing the skin on our backs flogging maybe even going to our death which of course peter and john both did because they knew they had met the resurrected christ and they had that apostolic certainty and it's on offer it's on offer here we can look at them and what happened to them and their rock solid certainty and we can hang our certainty there and we can look at the filling of the spirit in their lives then and the presence of god coming upon them to speak then and call upon the same spirit today let's pray lord god we pray to you this morning i don't know what situations may arise this coming week but i pray father that where we find ourselves in a situation where we want to name the name of christ and say of his name there is no other name given under heaven by which we may be saved 
but we know we're going to do it against the odds. We know it's going to be hard. We know that we face the prospect of losing. Losing reputation. Losing friends. Losing social capital. Whatever it is. Father, we pray that we would come at it with an apostolic certainty. And with the knowledge that in those instances, on those occasions, you've shown us that you give your spirits empowering help. And we would know that for us in our lives this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.